hundred species of birds. Passing through on the train, you get a brief, enticing view of the rich life of the marsh. For Bird Note, I'm Michael Stein. And now the new Capital Show with Je <laughs> with Leo Gold and your special guest, presidential candidate Dr. Jill Stein of the Green Party. Going to be a great interview. Stay tuned. Good afternoon. Welcome to the New Capital Show. I'm Leo Gold, your host. It is a pleasure to be with you on another nice day here in Houston, Texas, coming to you from the studios at 90.1 FM KPFT, part of the Pacifica Radio Network. In just a minute, it will be my pleasure to introduce today's guest, Dr. Jill Stein. I can't believe it, but I am sitting in the broadcasting booth with an actual candidate for President of the United States, and not just an actual candidate. Somebody's got a good chance to win uh to boot so uh that does not happen every day and uh i at, you know in the in the interest of fairness i invited the president uh he said he's too busy and uh, uh mitt romney i don't even know what he said but uh but i think it was no so uh so you can find us at newcapitalshow.com all of you tuning in today from all over the place all of you green party fans and uh, members our Facebook address is leogold.newcapitalshow. So please friend me. We have, uh, I think we could say, interests and viewpoints in common. We have an interest in growing our communities together and uh, growing strong together. We'll be taking your calls in a bit. So if you want to talk to an actual presidential candidate, you will be able to do so. 713 526 5738. 713 526 KPFT is the number. We'll take your calls. I don't know. Probably be about halfway through the show, half hour past. And without any further ado, let me welcome Dr. Jill Stein to the New Capital Show. Welcome. Thank you so much, Leo. It's great to be here. Great to have you. What brings you to Houston, uh, by the way? Who brings you to Houston? <laughs> uh, you're going to spend three days in Houston. My gosh. Uh, you're really planting some seeds here. Tell uh, us about a it. Absolutely. You know, uh, this is my second time here, in fact, uh, in this campaign. And I am 
sort of at the service of the Green Party and the movement for justice and and democracy that is breaking out all over. And one of the places it's breaking out is all over Texas. So I came down originally for the um, the Green Party convention here in Texas, and now I'm just following up to continue building the campaign, which has been a just a, a, a wonderful beyond my wildest dreams actually um, event for really self-discovery for a movement for democracy and justice that is finding its political voice and it's very exciting to be a part of it and and the green party is is a significant force in american politics now uh during this presidential campaign the party is on the ballot in, what is it, 40-something states now? It's, uh, it's just under 40 states, but it's all the big states. So it's actually 85% of voters have a an independent choice on the ballot. They don't simply have to vote for one of the two establishment parties. Including here in Texas. That's right. So that if somebody hears today's show and they like the sound of what you say. And I'm not saying that they will. They may not, right? I mean, it's entirely possible they're sure. going to say this is not my cup of tea. But if they if they just happen to say this is my cup of tea, they like what they're hearing, uh, come election day, they could actually vote for you. They could. And in fact, there are a lot of voters out there who are not being talked about. In fact, there are 90 million voters, according to a study in USA Today, 90 million voters who are planning to sit this one out because they do not feel represented either by Barack Obama or Mitt Romney. And that's twice as many voters as the number that are expected to turn out for Mitt Romney or to turn out and vote for Barack Obama. Meaning 90 million are voting for nobody they're not going to show up because they don't feel that they are represented by the establishment parties which are getting you know 99.99 percent of the airwaves and the public discussion and that's the way the system works and you know that's why we're in it to change it and to begin it you know to really begin to have a you know, uh, a, a real political alternative that provides a different way forward because the establishment parties are not moving us forward, put quite simply. So before we get to what you think, let's let's talk a little bit about who you are and and where you come from and what your background is so people get a, a little bit of a sense of that. Great. So I am, by training, a medical doctor. Uh, and I got involved as both uh, a doctor and a mother looking at uh, things from the community perspective about two decades ago and saw that things were looking rather dire. And what particularly was, in my view, was this epidemic of public health uh, diseases really descending on our kids diabetes obesity asthma cancer learning disabilities autism you name it these were new we've gotten quite sort of accustomed to them unfortunately over the last two decades as if these were uh you know god-given uh phenomena but they're not and two two decades ago it was really quite shocking and uh as a doctor in the clinic I sort of said to myself, well, I don't feel so good about just giving people pills and pushing them back out to the things that are making them sick. Everything from pollution to poverty to um, a food supply that uh, is not good for us. So I got to work with community groups to try to change things uh, at the level that they were making us sick. Things like instead of dirty, polluting coal plants, uh, instead, why not clean renewable energy that cleans up our air puts three times as many people to work as uh, dirty energy and which solves the climate crisis while we're at it and Mitt, by the way makes us healthier too by the way to interject Mitt Romney and, and we'll talk about the debates later but last night he spoke very forcefully in favor of what he called clean coal uh, <laughs> is there such a thing that 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 we know of uh, if you think there is I got a bridge in Brooklyn okay. I'd like to sell All you right. there just... isn't a shred of evidence exactly yeah. this is a public relations campaign you know that would like us to invest uh, tens of billions more dollars into finding out that it's the same old dirty coal there's no reason to believe otherwise so, and, and, yeah. of, and of course the president did not rejoin that that there is no such thing as clean coal ostensibly because he has to keep 
support of the coal business or the coal lobby coming out of the state of Illinois or some of the other states in his corner. Is that is that correct? Exactly. In the same way that the president has essentially embraced the drill baby drill policies of George Bush and gone much further yeah. in, you know, permitting more mountaintop removal for coal, in opening up the whole new yeah. area of fracking, in giving the green light yeah. to the Keystone Pipeline, etc. You you know, off more offshore oil drilling, opening up the Arctic, our national parks, you name it. This is a drill baby drill president. But but but, but not far enough for Mitt Romney, indeed, right? I mean, Mitt Romney would 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 want to open it up more, is, well, my, is my impression. You, you know, I mean, I think that's sort of the elephant in the room here, that yeah. there's this kind of concocted, contrived difference between the two parties. And it appears, you know, from my perspective, uh, and I'm trying to look at the details here, you know, but... Uh, and, and I have to say, you know, just being thinking people, you don't want to just look at the talk. You really do want to look at the walk. And there it's just not really clear that the narratives count all that much. So, you know, I, I think they would like us to believe the narratives and believe that the Democrats have a more warm and fuzzy future in mind. But they sure aren't putting out the details about how that's going to be more warm and fuzzy. I mean, Obama talks about some 90... 90 billion is it you know I, I think it's actually more than that that he wants 150 billion that he wants to invest in the next uh, 10 years in green jobs but that's 15 billion dollars a year you know compared to uh, tens of billions per year to the fossil fuel industry uh nuclear power guarantees you know loan guarantees in the tens of billions uh you know so uh, not to it, mention it, stationing our entire whatever sixth fleet or what whatever it is that has to be maintained in the middle east which essentially as i see it and you you, you may see it differently but as i see it and i've said many times on the radio is a is an indirect subsidy to the fossil fuel business because it has to be used to secure oil supply and it's not costed through at the pump it would be one thing if we costed it through at the pump those pr- the, exactly. the the cost of exactly. the sixth fleet went right. through and then people right. could people could decide whether they wanted to pay the price that 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 was tacked on to to gas prices but in fact it's priced through the through the tax code exactly so the subsidies are, are in fact much bigger than the you know the money that is handed to the oil companies yeah. and yeah. in fact uh, there are some studies that are a little bit dated right now but they said that if oil uh, if the gas if if fuel at the pump was really realistically priced, including all costs, both military as well as environmental and health, that it would be you know more like sixteen dollars a gallon, you know something like that, rather than three and a half four. But how can how can you get elected president saying this is what it ought to be? You know this is where it needs to be. This is the real cost of the stuff. Everybody, yeah. uh, I have to be honest with you. This is what you're saying. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. If we're going to, if we're going to price these things, then, then you're going to pay more for it. That's, that's an immediate uh, turnoff to, to all uh, people, including working people who, who now live so far from their work. Which and is, to, how do we, how do, how do we? I don't want to say we, but how do how do you thread that needle and 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 get people to look at the reality? Well, we thread the needle honestly. I have to say, and and looking at the big picture because. What the uh, fossil fuel forces want to do is frame this as a choice between, you know, jobs and affordable fuel and transportation or a world that we can survive in that has a climate that can actually support life into the next century, you know. And, and that's how they want to frame the choice, which is no choice at all. And in fact, the reality is that we've got to have a system that works for both. And we can do that by being absolutely fair. We can create transportation choices that are affordable mm-hmm. and healthy, that create jobs and save our environment. It's just absurd to accept this this framing, which is, you know, uh, sort of a, a non-starter it's a lose-lose proposition actually uh we we ran a referendum in massachusetts a couple years ago which we called the secure green future that asked would you like to redefine economic development so that we shift our subsidies from multinational dirty fossil fuel enterprises to local community-based small businesses and cooperatives in the green economy so that we're going to create jobs 
uh, and we're going to create an economy that works for us. But, you know, is it a dirty fossil fuel one that's shipping our proje- our profits overseas? Or is it going to be an economy that's based here that makes our communities healthy and sustainable? And we didn't have money to put into this referendum. And we thought, wow, if we got 15 or 20 percent, that would be a real, you know, thumbs up. People want to go in the right direction. We got actually 75 to 95 percent support in every community, including the poor post-industrial urban uh, deserts, as much as the tree-hugging suburban communities. People get that time is out of joint. There's a real serious problem here with our climate and our environment, as with our jobs. And people are just thirsting for solutions that allow us to solve these two crises together. That's what our Green New Deal is all about. Which, is, not, which yeah. is your big, which is your big, uh, the, the, the big thrust of your campaign exactly. and the big, uh, let's call it the focal point, the big feature initiative that you're talking about is a green new deal so 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 maybe that we'll move into that and talk about that a little bit so people understand what it is that you're proposing with this green new deal so we look out and we see at least two emergencies here one is that we have a jobs crisis and an economic crisis we need you know we need to put people back to work, we are in an absolute holding pattern. It's actually getting worse. It's not even holding because the jobs that are coming back are low-wage, insecure jobs. You know, we're we're in a real crisis economically. We're also in a crisis uh, in the climate with, you know, the worst drought on record, the hottest 12 months on record. The Arctic uh, ice is at the lowest ebb ever, which means we're about to tip into a period of accelerated climate change where it will be much harder to pull back. We're looking at water shortages, forest fires, you name it, skyrocketing costs of food. This is not good, and and this is just a taste of what's to come. So we have a climate emergency. The good news is we can solve both of these problems in one fell swoop, and we do it with a system that actually works as opposed to this voodoo trickle-down economics thing, which uh, has been beaten like a dead horse for the last 20 years and uh, is not making things better, is not jump-starting the economy. Instead, we want to do what got us out of the Great Depression in the 1930s, a New Deal type economic jumpstart, which means where the private sector cannot or will not create jobs, that government steps in uh, on an interim basis. And we're not talking about Washington dictating what happens, but rather making funding available to local communities to decide what kinds of jobs they need to become sustainable environmentally economically and socially so it jump starts a whole variety of jobs but including particularly jobs that will transition us to a green economy and the benefit of that is that it puts a halt to climate change and by the way it makes wars for oil obsolete as you were alluding to you know before about the need to station our our fleets to guard our oil supplies well guess what when we have a green economy we no longer have the need nor the justification for uh, a global empire and the incredible cost that that imposes on us if you are just joining us you're listening to the new capital show i am leo gold your host and my guest today, and I'm very pleased to have her here in the studio, is Dr. Jill Stein. She is the presidential candidate for the Green Party, which I think, uh, Jill, in most accounts by pollsters, uh, garners about 2% of the vote or something like this, right? That's right, which is a whole new ball game for the Green Party. We've been really below detection level for the last 10 years. So 2% is how many souls in our country that are... That are uh, likely to to pull the lever uh for for you uh in in november well at the moment it translates to about two or two and a half million two and a half million people but we're not at the end of the day here we're not at the end of the road and the critical thing is that one out of every two eligible voters right now is sitting home because they don't know that there actually is a choice there is a campaign that will create jobs and will put people back to work will end unemployment in fact will make public higher education free will bail out students instead of bailing out banks for the fourth time in fact will break up the big banks rather than bail them out and which will downsize the military to year 2000 levels half the cost of what it is now which has not 
you know, doubling the military has not made us more secure. If anything, we're less secure for having a uh, sort of a a hyperactive uh, military brute force right now. We're seeing all that blowback around the Middle East. So we can be more secure for uh, having a better international foreign policy, but more secure for being able to put our dollars where we need them here at home. Let me ask you about this, uh, going back to the Green New Deal. Do you have any details around what that would look like? Uh, X number of dollars going in to make this amount of of kilowatt generating, you know, megawatt generating capacity and th- these number of locations with this goal by year. Can you give us a little bit of details around what that thing looks like uh, as it gets implemented? Let's just say you're elected in the first day. There it is. You've got to put a you've got to work a bill up with some some congressional allies to do actual funding for it what what's in it what would be in that bill so there are there are models for this that we're drawing on uh one out of nyu uh school of law and economics that says that the first year to jumpstart this program would cost about actually less than the first stimulus package of 2009 and that package cost around 700 billion uh yet it created somewhere around two million jobs Three million if you include the indirect jobs that, that get created with that. And so you'd say, well, how can you get from, you know, a, a package that created two to three million jobs? How are you going to get 25 million jobs out of that? Cause that's what we need to actually put people back to work, uh, who are either unemployed or underemployed right now in working low wage jobs. It calls for 25 million jobs. And the point is that this is money that goes directly into job creation rather than into tax breaks, which has been the largest component of uh, of that stimulus package and in proposals since then. And when you provide tax breaks, um, while you may put money in pockets, uh, that money doesn't translate into jobs, not very well. So it created a few jobs, but didn't make a dent in the economy. And, and are we talking about generating capacity, electricity generating capacity, and electricity transmission lines? Uh, does it include automobile, uh, uh, electric automobile development uh does it include distributed energy power systems in homes to give us an idea of, of of what are these different areas because i think people are now getting to be familiar with I mean, we're starting to see these systems appear in in uh in california on on rooftops we've got a lot of installations going on there exactly. ironically of course a lot of this is happening because of cheap solar panels now which are being produced in china so how how do we right, right. deal with that too where exactly. where we as americans are the beneficiaries of very very incredibly cheap chinese labor to produce some of the building blocks of this of this and, system and that's exactly the point we should be producing cheap solar cells ourselves how did china get to this china had an industrial policy that ensured investments not just tax breaks for one corporation that had an inside connection you know with uh with the obama administration in the case of solyndra you know a company that 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 went on to fail uh you know you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket and not with a player who has kind of the inside track you really want an industrial policy where you're ensured that there will be a sustained support for developing the industry, that there will be markets that will buy it. This is what uh, uh, Germany did recently. By investing in solar and supporting the development of a solar sector, they brought the price down so quickly and they expanded jobs so quickly in the solar field of their economy that they had to back off of their subsidies much sooner than expected. They actually jump-started the industry. So so you're okay with Chinese solar panels, but but would you say, all right, let's say let's say we get a domestic solar panel industry going and it's actually been going the other direction we've been seeing bankruptcies from these organizations uh but but let's say we were able to restart uh panel producing capacity here in the united states would you say there needs to be some tariff to to uh equalize for uh, for wages that are too low in china or dumping and whatever the case is that brings those panels to be so cheap and under costed is that something we would have to do also uh, you know that that's a good question. We haven't come, we haven't crossed that bridge yet. Mm-hmm. What we're and and that's an important question and relates to policy towards China in and of itself, which is complex. But before we go there, uh, you know, the focus of the Green New Deal actually, it's not only 
uh, you know, clean energy technology and efficiency and things like that. Solar, wind, geothermal, uh, uh, insulation, conservation, efficiency, the whole energy sector. We're also talking about uh, a local, relocalized and regionalized sustainable food supply that is a largely organic food supply. We're talking about uh, public transportation, which is energy efficient and which dovetails with active transportation with biking and with pedestrian transit so that like in Copenhagen where 40% of people actually bike to work because they have bike paths that they can do it on we want that to be a component of public transportation and just so you get the, the dimensions here of what we're talking about we're also looking at jobs in the social sector so that communities can meet their social needs and that is in uh, in child care in daycare teachers after school school, um, violence and drug abuse prevention and rehabilitation, but, affordable but, housing construction. Let me interrupt you there. I was at a talk the other night uh, here in Houston, a remarkable woman named Michelle Alexander, who's mm-hmm. written a book called The New Jim Crow, spoke on Tuesday night, and she described to us in the audience how the war on drugs has imprisoned millions and millions of people, largely uh, poor people mm-hmm. of color. Who 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 uh, who have done nothing that other communities, white communities and wealthier communities, are not doing in terms of use of what is now illegal narcotics, mm-hmm. uh, and and that that for us to get back to the levels of incarceration that existed in 1970, when I was uh, an adolescent, we would have to release four out of five prisoners in this country and lay off a million prison workers. In other words, we have a huge business in this country that is built on incarcerating people for relatively minor drug offenses. Where does the Green Party and where do you stand on this issue, uh, which absolutely opened my eyes to what is a, an, a, a, a dismal, very sad, very disturbing situation in this country it, it is a lose-lose proposition nobody wins here except, except the prison, the prison. Guards. <laughs> well actually the prison industry the prison industry because i'm not sure the guards are actually that well paid or you know that secure and, and the legal industry i'm assuming all the all the uh, prosecutors and defense attorneys and all those people who get paid to 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 process this system yeah that's true although you tend to see a lot of opposition among them as well yeah. to this extremely corrupt and uh, dangerous and devastating industry, which is now the second fastest growing expense of state governments, second only to uh, health care. It's just absolutely astounding. It is counterproductive in every way. It does not rehabilitate people. This is, uh, you know, this is the prison industry in its absolutely worst dimensions. It simply makes uh, chronic criminals out of people because it locks them up. It incarcerates them with more dangerous people who actually have done real crimes as opposed to those who simply recreationally used uh, illicit substances. And then it turns them out loose where they're labeled as felons and they do not have access to housing, to jobs, to education. Uh, and even to vote, even you to know, vote. even to vote. This is, you know, and and or Michelle, food stamps. And there she you said go. Food stamps. They can't even get food. In this some is the new Jim Crow, and you know, and 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 worse even. It it is a, it's essentially a form of slavery. So as know, president, by another name. So as president, would you say we're going to revisit, redo, undo these mandatory sentencing laws and provisions? Absolutely. Would you would you would you lead that effort to undo this? And what about? Uh, legalization of certain uh, things that are currently branded illegal that that we're devoting attention to and imprisoning people for. Absolutely. Uh, On the first day in office, the president, if he or she wanted to, could instruct the uh, Drug Enforcement Agency, DEA, to do a really radical, astounding thing. (laughs) And that would be to use science in determining which substances will be scheduled that is made illegal and which wouldn't. Because if science had anything to do with this the um you know marijuana and uh and hemp for one for starters would be completely legal because in fact they are far safer than alcohol and nicotine uh which are completely legal so those 
substances should be legalized and they could be legalized simply by instructing the DEA to actually apply a scientific process. And yes, we should be cleaning out our jails. We should be house cleaning uh, and releasing people who have done no dangerous crime. When people have problems with substance abuse and addiction, it should be treated as a public health problem. That's how you actually make progress with this problem. You don't make progress by throwing people into jail. You simply cost taxpayers a lot of money and you guarantee that when people are released they're going to have much bigger problems and in fact we are spending for one year of incarceration we could be putting people through uh, college uh, at, at private schools even not even local colleges so it, it's a win-win to actually put an end to this failed racist war on drugs it's a win-win to create a green new deal that would put 25 million people back to work put a halt to climate change and make wars for oil obsolete we're calling for making public higher education free bailing out the students breaking up the banks not the other way around and uh, downsizing our military and taxing the rich. Let's put a tax on Wall Street. Why should Wall Street be the only industry, the only economic sector that does not have to pay a sales tax? If they simply paid a very small, you know, 0.5% sales tax on economic, on Wall Street transactions, we would not only generate hundreds of billions, and it's been estimated to be $350 billion a year into our treasury, but we would also put a damper on the reckless speculation that is a, you know, that, that is a danger in and of itself yeah. to our economy. I'm a professional financial advisor by day, and I can tell you that I've got no problem with the transaction tax. Okay. In fact, I'm often asked, you know, how come, how come you don't, uh, are my custodian, I'm an independent advisor, they say, how come you don't trade more? Well, you know, it's not in my client's interest to do it. So, I mean, if you are behaving appropriately and actually making investments that you intend to hold for the long term, you have no problem with uh, exactly. with some kind of transaction tax. Yes. Okay, listen, everybody. We're almost to half past. If you're just tuning in, my distinguished guest today is Dr. Jill Stein. She is the presidential candidate for the Green Party. We're going to take your calls in just a minute. 713 526 5738-713-526-KPFT. We'll be back in just a moment. They paid paradise, put up a parking lot. With a pink hotel, a boutique, and a swinging hot spot. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? They paid paradise, put up a parking lot. You don't know what you've got till it's gone. They pay paradise, put up a parking lot. Late last night, I heard the screen door slam. And a big yellow taxi took away my old man. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? They pay paradise. Up a parking lot. I said, Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? They pay paradise, put up a parking lot. They pay paradise, put up a parking lot. They pay paradise, put up a parking lot. <laughs> Welcome back to the New Capital Show. We're, <laughs> we're all busy taking photos here in the booth with uh, with Jill. So we were uh, <clears throat> we were a little late getting back to the microphone. 713-526-5738-526-KPFT. It's the New Capital Show. And uh, we will take your calls. And you can ask Jill questions about 
about her. You can ask her about the Green Party. You can ask her about uh, the presidency. Uh, let me ask that. What What's it like to run for president? I mean, it's taking you away from your family and your friends and your home. Uh, it's got to be an incredibly arduous undertaking. So what is it like? And and um, what's good? What's tough? And and uh, it's the yeah. it, to put it simply, it's the opposite of what I expected uh-huh. it would be. <laughs> I thought it would be the most bitter, vicious, divisive experience in my life. And I was I was somewhat arm twisted to run. I thought it was really important that we provide an alternative in this race, that we not allow uh, the president to dismantle Medicare and Social Security and Medicaid. That's what got me involved. I thought it was important that the Green Party not let this go unchallenged. And in the course of getting involved with finding a candidate, you know, sometimes you get recruited when you join that recruitment committee. So that's what happened. But I, I was reluctant and thought this would be the most difficult, bitter and vicious campaign I'd ever been a part of. It's exactly the opposite. It's like giving out candy at Christmas or Kwanzaa or Hanukkah um, because people are so anguished and really troubled about where we are politically economically environmentally socially you name it and it's an incredibly open time and i find people are hungry for discussion for new ideas and really receptive and grateful and i find every time i'm exhausted i get charged up by a whole new group of people that just i feel like i'm a political therapist you know, I'm a medical doctor, and when people say, what kind of medicine you're practicing, I say I'm practicing political medicine because it's the mother of all illnesses, and we've got to fix this one to fix everything else that ails us. But out there in practice, I feel like I'm practicing political, I'm sorry, political therapy because people are so anguished and troubled about where we are, and we need to work together to heal this political system in order to heal everything else. So it's actually an incredible honor and privilege uh, to be a part of the process. Well, look, I've asked enough questions. You are a presidential candidate, and so the people deserve to <laughs> to have their say and have uh, at you with some questions. So let's go to the phones right now. We are full up right now, everybody. I'm sorry. Uh, if you try to call, you will get a busy signal, but, but do keep trying. Let's go first and take Amy on line five. Amy, welcome to the New Capital Show, and you are on with Jill Stein. Thank you, and thank you for running, Dr. Stein. I am... Um, I just wonder if you can talk for a minute about the importance of uh, voting green uh, this election cycle, even <laughs> though the Republicans uh, have some extremely scary, uh, uh, can do some real harm <laughs> with some of the programs they're talking about. Thanks, Amy. Anyway. Great. Thank you, Amy. Um, and, and that's a really good point. Thanks for bringing it up. And, uh, you know, it, it's true. The Romney-Ryan programs are very scary. Um you know, and the Democratic programs sound sort of warm and fuzzy, and it's hard to get your hands around exactly what they're going to do. As I mentioned, the thing that got me into this race was the fact that Obama was opening the discussion, was actually opening the gate to... um uh, to dismantling Medicare and Social Security and Medicaid as the solution to the debt ceiling crisis. And this was a year ago. Last year in the summer, uh, Let, in the summer of 2011, right. when there was the big, uh, the, bargain that was being the discussed, grand the grand bargain that was exactly. being discussed, especially, uh, with, uh, House Speaker John Boehner at the time. That's right. Yes. And that grand bargain continues to be on the table. And in fact, Obama has made suggestions that after the election that he'll be looking to actually compromise around Social Security. Uh, his budget, in fact, predicts a level of funding for Social Security that is the same as what's in the Ryan budget, uh, which is something like 3.2% of GDP if you care about numbers. But the point is, if you get beyond the talk and you actually look at the walk, both programs are scary. And while there may be differences around the margin, it's really true that under Democrats as under Republicans, We've been accelerating in the wrong direction. And whether you want to look at the Wall Street bailouts, they got bigger under Obama. If you want to look at the free trade agreements that send our jobs overseas and undermine wages here at home, it was a Democrat that got us into that to start with, Bill Clinton. And it took Barack Obama to
to expand those. He's now negotiating the Trans-Pacific Partnership secretly, which will, it, it's NAFTA on steroids, essentially, and more. Uh, if you look at the attack on our civil liberties, it was terrible under Bush, but Obama has codified all of the violations of George Bush and then gone far beyond to claim the right to assassinate U.S. citizens, to lock us up indefinitely without charge or trial, to violate our right to the presumption of innocence, uh, you know, to criminalize the right of protest with this H.R. 347. Uh, you know, it's been very scary what is actually happening beneath the friendly talk. Were you a supporter of the president in 2008, just out of curiosity? I was not, because I was not convinced, uh -huh. looking very carefully at the record, uh, I, I was uh, alarmed at the way he looked like he wanted to charge into Afghanistan. It looked like he was going to substitute one war uh -huh. for the other. And, and I think that fear has been borne out. In fact, on day three, the president uh, basically loosed the bombers into Pakistan. Yeah. And it's no wonder the U.S. is now considered the enemy in uh, polls in Pakistan. So you, so you would say the president hasn't disappointed you because you, you, you didn't have an expectation. I, uh, I did in, not. In 2008. But I think, you know, most people were rather, uh, what should we say, swayed by this politics of fear. But after 10 years since Nader Bush Gore, you know, what we found is that uh, political silence, you know, is not an effective strategy. And the politics of fear has actually delivered everything we were afraid of. The expanding war, the meltdown of our climate, the offshoring of our jobs, you name it, we've gotten it by the droves because we've allowed ourselves to be silenced. If you look at what actually happened in Florida, Nader got as many votes from Republicans as he did from Democrats, but the vast majority of his votes were coming from former Ross Perot voters who were independent, who would not otherwise have come out to vote. So it is a public relations campaign attended, intended to uh, scare us and keep us silent. In fact, we are the ones we've been waiting for. Back to the phones. Let's take Carlos. Carlos, welcome to the New Capital Show. You're on with Dr. Jill Stein, presidential candidate for the Green Party. Carlos, you there? Yes. Hello. You're thank on. Thank you so much, and mm -hmm. thank you, Dr. Stein. It was only um, a month ago that I was completely unaware of uh, your presence in the campaign. As soon as I began to learn and look more into the grammar, logic, and rhetoric of what you were saying, have I become such an ardent supporter of you and, and understanding um, how you explain things makes it very uh, easy, I think, for those that are connected in the right heart space with humanity to be huge followers of what it is that you are saying. Um, you brought up quite a few points that are very important in my, in my perspective, one of which being um, the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Um, the Zapatistas that, uh, had uh, warned people about the NAFTA and how mm -hmm. dangerous it would be for the small farmer. That's right. And uh, they, it, it came through and true very exactly. quickly. Okay, Carlos, and, thank you. Do you have a question for yes, Dr. Do. Stein that we can have her address for you? Yes, I would like to know, you know, she spoke about the food and the genetically modified ingredients, and um, this is something that not any other candidate is speaking about that she does, and that the importance of the food that we're eating and everything that is doing to the humanity and the causes and the way it connect, it's connected to Monsanto Carlos, and thanks, Food Corporation. Thanks for the call. Dr. Stein, Great. anything uh, on the food supply and our food? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Carlos, for bringing up this really important issue. We, we right now, we spend two over $2 trillion a year uh, on, on what's not a health care system. It's actually a sick care system. Uh, and we know that about 75% of our health care dollars are actually spent treating diseases, chronic diseases that are preventable at a tiny fraction of the cost if we were doing the right thing up front. That's why healthy, sustainable, organic uh, fresh foods uh, systems and supplies are a key part of the Green New Deal. Uh, this is how we get to health. Uh, GMOs specifically are an untested technology. There's some real red flags about their impacts on, on human health. There's some real uh, data, hard data available right now about the dangers to ecosystems of allowing genetically modified organisms to be loosed in the in, in the ecosystems. So it's, it's very important that we uh, not 
not use GMOs until such a time uh, that they are proven to be safe. And it's not clear that there ever will be such a time because there are such flagrant inherent risks. Unfortunately, the president has confined uh, sustainable food systems to being a demonstration garden on the White House lawn while he's invited Monsanto to basically come inside the White House uh, and have enormous input into running agencies like uh, like the um, USDA, uh, which has close connections with Monsanto and uh, FDA as well. So we need to get the big money out. We need to fire Wall Street and its various minions uh, and the multinational corporations and allow a government that's actually of by You bring up money. Let's talk about money for just a second, then we go back to the phones. We're going to take Aisha next. Uh, but, uh, Dr. Stein, how is your candidacy financed and funded, and how is the Green Party funded, and, and how, how's, it, how's it going there? Are, are, are you in a good position financially? Uh, things are, are better than they've ever been, actually, for the Green Party. We are funded of, by, and for the people. We do not take money from corporations, unlike the establishment parties. We do not take money from PACs or lobbyists or CEOs who hire lobbyists. So, in other words, we have safeguards so that we don't take money with strings attached regardless of what the string is whether it's a good string or a bad string we just don't take money that comes with expectations we believe in one person one vote not one dollar one vote um we made matching funds, federal matching funds, for the first time with a true member of the Green Party. We made matching funds with Ralph Nader, but he brings his own institution and force with him. So this was the first time that we've done it, actually, with a Green Party candidate. Which is a big deal. I mean, it's, it's a, a huge, it's the first deal. time for the party to kind of do it on its own, as it were. That's right. Yes. And, uh, you know, we have fought our way onto the ballot using those resources. We're hoping to raise as much now in the general election as we did in the primary. Encouraging people always to go to our website, jillstein.org, and, and consider doing that because if we are able to fund our campaign in this general election, we have the uh, opportunity to not only lock in where we are, which is 2%, but actually to come up. Because we got to 2% without doing anything. All we have done so far in this campaign is basically work to get on the ballot. The system is designed that way, basically to keep you running in circles, just getting on the ballot. Yeah. So you spend 90% of your campaign yeah. doing that. Even without beginning to run a real campaign, we've come up from nowhere to 2%. So if we can double that again, plus a little more, if you break the 5% uh, vote threshold, not only are you on the ballot for the next four years, which means we don't have to spend 90% of the time just getting on the ballot. It means we can run a real race. We can hit the ground running. And it means that we get a $20 million grant from the federal government for being a real campaign in the next election. So consider it a huge match. If we raise half a million, uh, which is what we think it'll cost to get to 5%, if we raise half a million, we get $20 million. Think of it as a four. 40 to 1 match, match. <laughs> yeah. on your dollar. It's a big match. There you go. So uh, give the website again so people... Again, that's jillstein.org. That's one word, Jill, S-T-E-I-N.org. And you can also join our initiative to occupy the Commission on Presidential Debates, which is this, uh, this privately run corporation run by the Democratic and Republican parties to essentially turn the debate into the farce that you witnessed last night, if you saw it. Yeah. Let's go to the phones. Aisha. Welcome to the New Capital Show. You are on with Dr. Jill Stein, the Green Party's presidential candidate. You there, Aisha? Hello? Nope. Let's go on and try the next caller. It's going to be, let's take Johnny. Johnny, welcome. This is a true honor for me to be on the air with you guys. Mm. Leo, thanks for having Jill Stein. Thank you, John. Thank you. One of the reasons I love the Greens Party Outside the fact that we have this Coke and Pepsi choice between the Democrats and Republicans every election cycle, is that, that the Greens Party is so forward-thinking and courageous for having a candidate like Jill Stein, who's a doctor, when we're having this issue about health care in this country, okay. and her running mate, Cherry Hunkla, a homeless advocate who is, in fact, homeless. So what better than to have a doctor and a homeless person who are both articulate and, and both dynamic to be leaders in this country. Unfortunately, I'm afraid that it's going to be a while before we can get you kind of guys up in, into the White House. So short of that, I'd like to know, uh, is there a, a, some kind of plan by the Greens Party to c encourage or push or cajole 
the next administration, especially if they turn out to be the Obama administration, to incorporate people like Ralph Nader or yourself in the cabinet or some kind of advisor position. And number two, do you plan to have a nationwide, as a Green Party, plan to have a nationwide or, uh, or a series of statewide regional cooperative uh, job business opportunities for people and gain uh, um, recognition of the Greens Party in that way? Johnny, thanks. Let's let her uh, take him. Thanks for the call. Great. Great questions, Johnny. Um, yeah, so first, on, 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 on this question of how do we ensure that uh, we... You know, that we go somewhere with this campaign, that, that we're not just spinning our wheels and talking to ourselves. I think the best way that we ensure that is by getting out there and using our votes to actually move us forward. If you're, you know, if you're out there fighting to, you know, for eviction blockades or to block the Keystone pipeline or, you know, to bring the troops home or to lower the cost of tuition or bail students out, you know, people are out there voting with their feet now the occupy movement for example we're out there voting with our feet which really counts but we also want to be out there voting with our votes so that's the first thing is to don't let them talk you out of courage uh in in the line of fire uh in the voting booth that we really do need to uh, show the way forward with our votes. If we come out of this with five or ten or fifteen percent, you know, or even two or three percent, it makes clear that we are here and it's a good place to be because neither establishment party has an exit strategy from any of these just terrible crises we're facing. Not a one. They're basically saying stay the course and wait for it to get better. It's not going to get better. It's going to continue, um, you know, falling apart as long as they are at the helm and a lot of people are going to keep coming into our camp. I wouldn't entirely write off, you know, I'm not holding my breath, but I'm not ruling out the possibility of a Tahrir Square moment because we've got the same conditions going on in this country. Consider this alone. There are 36 million students in this country, students and recent graduates who are effectively indentured servants who do not have a future in this economy carrying around the kind of debt that they have with 50% unemployment and underemployment rates. They don't need to be convinced uh, to vote for our campaign. They just need to know that we're out there. And students are very good at networking, as you know. So if word got out among that 36 million people that they could actually have a revolution in the ballot box, we might very well see that happen. So I wouldn't rule it out. However far we get to that is going to just put us in a good position for continuing to push these issues forward. I don't think... Um, uh, Obama is looking to have whistleblowers like myself or Ralph Nader in the White House. In fact, he persecutes whistleblowers and he locks them up. So, you know, I'm not uh, holding my breath that we're going to be invited uh, to some kind of a, a bargaining table to have a word in edgewise. It's very clear who's running the White House. It is, um, you know, it is Wall Street who is calling the shots there. That's not going to change until we make it change. And we can make it change by getting uh, out there uh, to all of our networks getting on facebook go to uh, just jill stein on facebook or at jill stein 2012 on twitter and let everybody know that we actually have a voice in this election and we can change the direction of the country whether we win the office or we win the day by driving these solutions forward back to the phone we've got about eight minutes left and let's take deborah deborah welcome to the new capital show you're on with jill stein Yes, hi, Leo. I'm calling, um, just sitting listening to this program. Um, for eight years, this country went through the worst situation you can imagine. There was no alterage. Where was the alterage? All of a sudden, everyone has got a solution now, but it's more or less spreading more divisiveness than anything else, and yet they accuse President Obama of everything that's wrong with this country. Just wake up. Just tell people, wake up. Deborah, thanks for the call. Uh, Jill Stein, what about that? People who who have been in the political uh, power in this country for years and years, now promulgating additional solutions. Is there any credibility there whatsoever, or, it's, or is it gone? I mean, uh, I'm assuming you'd say... Well, I'm going to let you say what you would say. Go ahead. You know, I'm not hearing a lot of new solutions, I have to say. What I'm hearing from the president is be patient. Mm -hmm. Be patient and have faith in what hasn't worked over four years. And what are you hearing from Mitt Romney? Uh, You were in a debate sort of 
virtually with them last night. Yes. Amy Goodman hosted it. What, and what, what are you hearing from him? Uh, what you hear from him is, you know, kind of the Etch-a-Sketch thing. And this was his effort to be sort of the warm and fuzzy uh, candidate after having been caught on tape basically saying, you know, oh, screw that 47% of Americans who are retired or too poor to pay uh, income taxes. I can't you know, be concerned about them, he said. Exactly. <laughs> They're right. not my concern. Mitt Romney, the uh, buy it, strip it, flip it, uh, you know, uh, trailblazer who sent jobs overseas and sent his own money overseas. So this is, I think, exactly the point that the two parties, they have very different narratives and persona, although Last night you saw Mitt Romney try to adopt a warmer persona, and you didn't see Mitt, uh, Barack Obama really step up to the plate and defend a progressive agenda. That's Not right. one bit. No, he didn't. And, 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 and yet there are Americans uh, in need. There are Americans who are middle class. There are, are poor Americans who will somehow find themselves a way to support both of those parties. How do you explain that? I think, <laughs> let me tell you, uh, I, I did a... Uh, a radio show on National Public Radio a couple of weeks ago in Oregon. I had three minutes to give the overview, and then they opened up the phones. And the first caller introduced himself saying, I'm a lifelong Democrat, and I just have to tell you, it feels so good to finally hear the Democratic Party agenda in this race. I just want to let you know that I'm voting for you. <laughs> At that point, the host came in and said, but wait a minute, you told the call screener you were going to say, you were going to accuse her of stealing votes from Barack Obama. To which he replied, well, I was going to say that until I heard what she had to say, and boy, did she win my vote. And I think that's the name of the game. This is why we're not allowed into the debate. This is why the corporate press won't cover us, because we don't have to convince people. Once they kind of hear not only the solutions that we bring to bear, but also get reminded of what the track record is. And the fact that fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me for four years, really, really shame on me. You know, then then people start waking up. This is why I say I'm a political therapist, because, you know, I help people break up with an abusive political relationship that's very, just not doing very them any good. interesting, very interesting. <laughs> Let's take Joe, who's been holding on line three. Joe, welcome to the New Capital Show. Hey, Dr. Stein. What a pleasure it is to hear you on here. I, thought, I worked for Ralph Nader for the last three campaigns that wow. he was involved in. It sounds like I should be out there working for you right now. How about it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm going to do that. Uh, That'd be great. Listen, this is uh, the place that put men on the moon. Make sure the Green Party there tells you about solar power from the moon. It's a very important uh, way to go. Mm -hmm. My question to you, though, is on what Leo brought up earlier, uh, uh, Michelle Alexander, and one of the reasons why this debt crisis is, has been pushed over on us is for the same reason that We'll never see this uh, drug war finish because there's approximately $400 billion every year that uh, of drug money that gets transacted through our banks. Now, <laughs> how do we stop that? Exactly. Thanks, Joe. Thanks yeah. for the call. Yeah. And, and, Joe, I see that as essentially the same question as how do we stop these, uh, you know, the Trans-Pacific Partnership and these, you know, these trade agreements that are sending our jobs overseas? How do we stop a health care system, which is essentially a, a boondoggle for insurance companies and, and pharmaceutical companies? How do we stop the fossil fuel companies and the nuclear companies from uh, basically pushing us over the cliff here? We're being thrown under the bus. And the bottom line is you put all of us together who are all being thrown under the bus and guess what we got a majority as alice walker says the biggest way people give up power is by not knowing that we have it to start with and i think people are beginning to wake up to the fact that we do have the power that we can stand up we can do that in this election uh and we can drive the system forward and this is what social transformation has always required you've always had to fight you know the 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 hundred ton gorilla in the room we got to do that together as a social movement and a political party go to jillstein.org and join the team dr stein it has been terrific to have you jill thanks so much for coming in today thank you you have uh, you have other appearances <laughs> maybe uh tell people uh over the next day or two where they can find you we've just got about 60 seconds left and then we've got to wrap it up but i do want people to get the chance if they want to come out and see you to do so 
Great. So at seven o'clock on Friday, we are, uh, the public is invited to a political discussion at Decor Hall at St. Stephen's, which is 1805 West Alabama, uh, at, at the corner of Woodhead Street, I guess that is. And on Sunday, we are at the last organic outposts, Emily Street Community Farm, 711 Emile Street, and, I guess that is. And people can go to your website and find out about these appearances in more detail. Yes. Uh, and it's been a pleasure having you all join us today out there listening to New Capital Show. I want to thank uh, George uh, and Deb very much for making arrangements. I want to thank Doyle. And uh, we will be back next week. Until then, take care. Celebrate fall with Green Mountain Energy Thursday Concerts at Discovery Green, co-sponsored by 90.1 KPFT-FM. The fall season features free concerts showcasing outstanding regional performers at Discovery Green on Thursdays in September and October. Discovery Green is Houston's number one spot to picnic on the grass, dance on the patio, and watch the sunset over this gorgeous downtown skyline. Bring your family, meet your friends, take your office on an outing, or disconnect the neighborhood kids from their video games and plug them into the real live music experience. This week's concert features a night of melodic pop rock with stellar singing and guitar playing. Lost Bayou Ramblers kick off the night with Cajun Rock and Roll for Texas Institution, Ian Moore, and the Lossy Coils on Thursday, October 4th. This concert is a St. Arnold's recycling night, so bring your empty six-pack containers to double your St. Arnold's reward points. Shows start at 6.30. Everyone is welcome. Most street parking is free starting at 6. Bring your picnics, blankets, and lawn chairs, but leave your glass